Just a reminder, our podcast deals with crimes that are often violent and graphic in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So when in doubt, leave the kids out. Now, please let us take you back in time. Hello, guys. We're back recording and talking about some money today. And yeah, we we're just talking about it'd be nice to be at the beach again. We're always talking about the beach. Yeah, oh, the, beach. the beach is a fun place to go. But we were talking about money as Shannon here with Melissa. Yep. Hello, hello. Hope everybody out there is doing well and good to be back this week. So we are going to talk about. Um, a robbery that had to do with 17 million. Yes, that is correct. You cash money, me. 17 million. In cash. I can't even, yeah, I can't imagine. From the Loomis Fargo Bank Regional Office Vault in Charlotte, North Carolina. North Carolina is such a great place. And the weather's always good. So I guess this was a good time to steal some money. It was a massive investigation and resulted in the conviction of eight conspirators and at least 16 others that were involved. It started in October of 1997. And I actually remember this on the news um, around that time. I think Melissa might have been I never crawling heard of it. or were you no, learning no, to walk? No. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm a little bit older than her, but not I that old. I was 13 years old. I think I could walk by that oh, point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unlike most 13-year-olds today. I didn't have a phone in my face. No, she didn't. But, um, so but, she was aware. No, but, yeah, I, I remember I this don't, story. I don't remember this happening in the, in the news. Because so, I would have been like, whoa, that was crazy. Well, and my thing is, that is a lot of people involved when you have 16 and then 8. Yeah. Um, conspirators. I mean, that's a lot of people. So it, it's not real wise to have a lot of people involved unless you can truly trust them. And But anyway, so in 1997, October, it was a Sunday morning, October the 5th, around 7.15 a.m., uh, the Charlotte Mecklenburg police got a call from a concerned wife. Her name was Tammy Gant, and she was worried about her husband, David, because he had not returned home from his overnight shift at the Loomis Fargo warehouse. She thought something might have happened as it was unlike him to be late without calling. That is a lot of these stories, um, you know, that we do. They haven't called, but now we have all these trackers and things on our phone, so... Um, this was back again. To me, that's not long to be calling. To me, but oh, you're oh, running really? a little bit late. Like she immediately calls the police after it's only been. Oh, you're talking about that. But I'm, I'm yeah. saying for the thought of something must have happened because if he's, you know, oh, yeah, like yeah, if he's yeah, got yeah. a routine. But yeah, no, I mean they call the police. Because right if I then. called the police every time I thought Daniel was oh yeah, be not a that late. Because right, not <laughs> that, not that. Well, so because so, they get tired of me calling. So. Well, and my, my, my husband too, because yeah, she would be calling every day and my husband the same, because when he would go out and work, it might be a couple of hours afterwards. Yeah. But if this is somebody who has a set routine, they're pretty on task as far as, so obviously we don't have that. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I was just paralleling cause we are always talking about not having cell phones. I got my first cell phone in 1996 actually. 
So the hat, the hat pagers, and it did have cell phones, but she. But called. it was a bag, like bag phone. But yeah. yeah. So anyway, she called. Sorry, she called we digress. So she calls the police. Not much time with him missing. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of odd. So an officer was sent to the place of business to check up on things. Now that's pretty different because all of our other stories they say you have to wait forty eight no, hours. Wait, so. man, we ain't gonna look into it. He's okay. a grown man. Yeah. yeah. So, but this officer went to the place of business. I wonder if it had to do with because it's Loomis Fargo. Because it's a money warehouse. Yeah. Maybe. Anything with money. <laughs> um, so he went to check on things. Immediately, something was not right. David's pickup was parking in front of one of the gates. I was reading. It was parked. It was parked in front of um, one of the gates. <laughs> it could have yeah. still been parking. It might have been moving back and forth. <laughs> could have been a ghost town. The chains around the gate were unlocked and the officer was able to walk on through. So the warehouse door, it was also unlocked. The officer immediately called it in and backup was dispatched. They contacted Loomis Fargo and a supervisor was called out so they could assess the situation and find out what was going on. Well, David Gant, who was whose wife had started all this um, calling, was not at the facility or in the facility and the vault was locked, but the keys were nowhere be to be found. They were missing. Okay. That and it was two too sets good. of keys. It was like these big rings with all these keys on to everything. So the keys were gone. Okay. And also a company van was missing. There was no signs of forced entry. Um, and, they could rule out an outsider had come in and robbed the place. So since there wasn't forced entry, then they, the outsider hadn't come in and robbed it. Right? Yes. Yeah, so it looked start. like an inside job. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so um, David was supposed to work the night before and close up the vault with a trainee. The next logical step was to check out the surveillance videos. Once in the security center, they opened a cabinet with two units that were recording, but the tapes were missing. They opened up a second locked cabinet and its unit still had a tape inside and the officers quickly viewed it. We can all guess pretty accurately what is on this tape. So, cause you know, this is a <laughs> crime podcast. And of course the supervisor and the officers saw David Gant clearing out the safe. Hmm, he's missing, and a van is missing, and now a huge amount of hard cash is missing. Loomis had been robbed by an employee, and the FBI was called immediately. The money stolen was insured by federal banks, so this was considered a felony offense. So all hands were on deck to locate David Gant and recover the money as quickly as possible. As of this moment, they didn't even have an idea as to how much money David had emptied out of the safe. So he's caught on the one video camera, the one videotape left, and then nobody thought to clear that one out, I well, guess. Well, they grabbed the other two. Right. And didn't grab the third, but okay. left, uh, left, took the keys, and the van is gone. So they can't even get into the vault. Like, they don't even know what's left. Did he empty it all out? Did he empty out a little bit? Gotcha. They, they don't even know. All right, so the keys had vanished, and so they didn't know what to do as far as being able to find out what had um, been emptied out. And they ended up calling people to come in and drill the vault open. 
So when without knowing exactly what had happened, it was still a possibility that David could have been forced to empty it out and then locked it locked in there himself. Because, I mean, that's happened before. Yeah. Um, so the police had to get into the vault to determine the next steps. And if he was in there, to rescue him. Once inside, they found nothing. Yep. No body, no money. $17.3 million gone now that's that's almost three thousand pounds we're talking about weight wise worth of money, money that he had to move so he had to have help or he had a long i mean there was i mean that's that's just a lot think of how long it would take you to lift three thousand pounds from point a to point b i wonder if they had any of those um you know the things they use in i mean it might have been like a pallet jack yeah but that. he still had to get it from into this van wow yeah, and that would be like putting a car inside of a car because the car, you know, is ton two tons at least. So, I don't know how accurate I am on that. But still, the van would be like doing the low ride, <laughs> low rider, going over the speed bumps. <laughs> All right, so most were $20 bills. So, yeah, that's a lot of money. And the bills were from circulation and nothing was marked. Wow. Because, you you know, I used to work at a bank and we'd order change from Loomis and Loomis goes around and they take up deposits for people. So money just keeps, oh, yeah. keeps circulating going back and forth. So there was no sequential serial yeah. numbers. It wasn't logged anywhere. So literally anybody that had this cash, you couldn't trace it. Yeah. You're the bank lady. You could have, yeah. <laughs> Should have been talking about this today, girl. <laughs> So, with no real leads, they started to look outside. David's truck was given a good close look, hoping that something was left behind as a clue. And it was looking like they weren't going to find anything. And then they decided to pop out the ashtray. Inside, they find a ring, a wedding ring. Hmm. After meeting at the FBI office in Charlotte and analyzing everything they had... All they knew was David was missing. I'm laughing. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because in the documentary, oh, okay, they, good. they're showing like, what, what you, wrong? They're, they're like, they're all sitting in the FBI Charlotte office and all these agents are going through reports and they're just looking at their computers and they're scrambling around. It's like, after all weekend, this is what they know. David is missing. So is the van. <laughs> so is the cash. And so are the keys. <laughs> so obviously, David stole this money. Because we have them on tape. I don't know why it showed. It would take all weekend for them to figure that out. And they found a ring. So Part of dram dramatic. Um, yes. You know, that was ring. very good. <laughs> but it was funny. Yes. So they are sitting there after a whole weekend. Probably working tons of overtime. Costing a lot of money. And they needed to find David Gant and fast. David had a 24-hour head start with unmarked cash. He could be anywhere. And he would have had a 48-hour head start if they had done what they usually do and wait 24 to 48 hours. So, but money, money. Has something to do with money. They started the investigation by talking with David's wife, Tammy, who was the first one to call yeah. in after only, not even 24 hours, really. And she calls and gets the police involved. Tammy was cooperative and gave lots of information about David's background and their life together. She explained that he didn't act weird or out of the ordinary leading up to that day. While the bills were paid, money was light, and they had acquired some credit card debt. She kept David on a budget and was always making sure the bottom line was taken care of. 
He had been working a lot of hours to catch up on the bills, and it was her belief that he was forced to do something like this. He must have been kidnapped because she was sure there was no way he would have been directly involved in a matter like this. But she just explained that she had him on a tight budget. So, I mean, and you're working and around ring, a room of money, yes. literally. <laughs> and the ring is left in the, I don't know if it, they didn't say it was his, but a wedding ring is an ashtray. So, hmm. Might have been a little bit of, I don't know. So, less than 48 hours in, they had already secured an indictment for David's arrest, thanks to U.S. Attorney Mark Calloway. The crime was all over the newspapers the Monday after the crime. Now begins an operation they called Charlotte. 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 A nationwide search for David Gant. Oh, Charlotte. A nationwide search for David Gant. <laughs> now, with his picture being circulated that he was wanted for larceny, hopefully he would turn up fast since everyone in every state was looking for him. And yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big thing, especially when it's a federal crime. I'm sure it got across the internet pretty quickly. Well, it just so happened they were able to get the indictment to issue the arrest because they had that tape. If that third tape had been taken and they didn't see anybody taking they the money out, they that. couldn't have, um, you know, he would just have been a missing person. Yeah. But since they saw him physically unload the cash from the safe, then they could say, well, yeah, we need a warrant for his arrest because he did it. We need to find him right now. Yeah, because, so. man, if they had taken that tape, Nobody would have been the wiser because they would have still had to wait for somebody to drill into the vault. Mm -hmm. So, um, authorities secured the airports and bus stations in case David decided to make a run for it. I don't know, with three almost 3,000 pounds of cash, that would be hard to make a run for it, but <laughs> in the 20s. So, they went to truck rental places to see if anyone looking like David had rented a vehicle to carry all that cash. <laughs> all right. This was a dead end, however. Things were starting to seem like a deja vu. In March of 1997, just a few months earlier, the same thing happened. A Loomis Fargo employee decided to rob his warehouse in Jacksonville, Florida. He got away with over $18 million in cash. The Charlotte Division of the FBI was involved in the investigation and recovered most of the money in the Asheville, North Carolina area. So, hmm, just around the corner. They knew just how important it was to figure out where David was, um, where he was stashing the cash in order to get it back quickly since it couldn't be traced, as Melissa um, referred to earlier. In the Florida heist, the employee stored the cash in a storage facility in North Carolina. This time, they tried to check storage units as well. This was also a dead end. And as they're trying to find David, they look to, to two things that are happening in the city to see if something sicks out. Not two things, but they look, look two things. things. <laughs> well, going All on right. in the city in Charlotte is a big city anyway, and yeah. that particular weekend happened to be the Coca-Cola 600 oh, NASCAR race at Charlotte okay. Speedway. So now you have all these thousands of people coming in from everywhere. You have all these travelers. License plates are different. People are using fake names to get hotel rooms. It's it's making it so much harder for them to try to find this one person that yeah that is wanted. Yeah, the traffic, everything. If you think about it, um, so it'll be right. like finding a needle in a haystack. Yes. All right, so at this point, the FBI also wanted to find David because they aren't entirely sure that he is safe, especially since the wife is 
you know, saying that he couldn't have done this and he, she thinks he might've been kidnapped. Um, it is probable that he needed help to move all the money. And the only person they knew was involved was David. They didn't know how many other people were involved and they also didn't have a body. So what if who helped him decided to kill him? Time was running out. And then on Monday afternoon, two days after his disappearance, the family finally, or the police finally caught a break. Sorry, guys, I'm at words. <laughs> a man who was cutting grass found the unmarked Loomis van. It was situated less than 10 miles from the Loomis warehouse in the woods. Oh, wow. It wasn't now, that far away. Well, but it's and in that the woods. seems like it always happens. Because how many yeah. times have we heard, well, they sent the search party out for days and for hours. Yeah. And then some bones turn up and they're like, it was only five miles from the way the place they missed it. But this is a big van. Like It was in the woods. It was yeah. like drove, drove into the woods. But it wasn't very Still, far from, uh, from the warehouse. Looks like they would have had a helicopter up and... I don't know. Um, so they could see something was inside after finding the van, but it was locked. They didn't have any keys. <laughs> <laughs> we got some locked problems. It had to be towed to the police impound lot, and a locksmith was called to break into it. Once they were able to get inside, it, they noticed a ton of cash was still left inside. I mean, it looked like someone had just took money bags and just thrown it into the van. Like, I mean, by the front seats and the floorboards, it was just it was just well, cash I mean, left in the van. If it was only him, he had to work all night to get that loaded up. You know how long it takes? Load $17.3 million, don't you, Melissa? <laughs> that would take a long time. Takes, it sure does take a long time to save it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was piled up, like she said, all over the seats, all over the back. Um, they began to count the small denominations, and it totaled to $3.3 million. Hmm. So they leave three, I mean, they took 17, but 3.3 million to the left behind because it was like ones. I mean, I take $3 million in one Man, I'm sitting here hating. I wasn't on that search team. I would have been like, y'all can check like 20 miles down the road. Why did that man cut grass call that in? Yeah. Oh, come on, man. No, we're honest people. We would call it in. We would do, yes. So you can't see us right now. But anyway, (laughs) no, we would call it in Uh, because I'd get called. I'm just the type of person that gets caught for squeezing lemons out of um, light. So anyway, <laughs> let's the see. 3.3 oh, million dollars. Yeah, and just abandoned in the woods. But, mm-hmm. I mean, think about 17 minus 3. That's still a good amount of money that wasn't there. So in a box at the back of the van sat the two security tapes. The, they were VHS. And um, they had been, they're the ones that were missing from the security cabinet. Gant's Loomis pistol and both sets of vault keys were also found in the van. Hmm. Okay. So I'm just like, there's now you just have more questions. Like, why leave the tapes behind? Yeah. Did they, did they leave it on purpose so that they can, he had help and they want to depend on him or and make it look like he got yeah, taken because then of... his pistol was there? Did so... he just get tired and couldn't unload the whole van and just left the ones behind because he was already exhausted from yeah. emptying the whole, the whole vault? Wow, that's true. So, a lot of clues, but a lot of questions. So, the tapes were left behind and the money. And so, yeah. So, we got to find out what kind of answers we come up with. So, they went back to Loomis and decided to interview all employees, past and present, to determine if David had help from anyone. They started with his supervisor and the trainee that was supposed to be closing with him that Sunday night. The trainee said that Gant sent him home before the shift ended and closed up by himself. 
Gant was far from the model employee. He had previously left some cash unattended, as was in serious trouble. And <laughs> it was in serious trouble. And oh. almost got fired for it. I am so sorry for my reading. That's today, my guys. grammar. They tried to talk to anyone who had contact with Gant to determine who he was working with. Over 100 people in two days were interviewed. Okay, so that's my thing is you're dealing with money. It's almost like you can't make any mistakes or you're gone. You know? Well. I mean, I don't know. Oh, you tell me, bank lady. Well, I've had I've had some issues where we've made some, some paper mistakes and me and another teller thought we were really in trouble, like like $10,000 paper mistakes. Wow. But we found it. Like, there's been days we had to stay after and, like, you had to count everything and you had to count your ATM and you had to count vault and like everything is accounted for. And there, there's very little margin for error. But do you always have someone with you most of the time or cameras on you all the time? Most of the time. Yes. And, and the bank, I don't know how Loomis does it, but the, the bank I worked at, if I was to go into the main safe to get anything, there were two combinations. There was my combination and another person's combination. So it always took two people to, to get it open. I couldn't just go in and just try to open it myself. I'm just thinking, too, yeah, I guess you, you're allowed, like, one, you know, a few mistakes, I guess. But I don't know. Money just seems so serious. And, you know, a warehouse full of money. I've never even thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, let's see. But they said he wasn't, he was far from the model employee. I don't think it's fair to call him a bad employee if he, you know, made a mistake. Unless he's made it more than once or something. so. Well, that was the mistake that was mentioned, was that he had yeah. left a bunch. They didn't say how much money, but it was unintended, and something could have happened. So he True. got reprimanded for it, and he could have lost his job, but he didn't. Because, yeah, so because then it talks about almost everyone interviewed was shot and couldn't believe that David could pull something like that off. Because he was a loner, and he was really quiet, and he was kind. Not that, like, he was so, yeah, but so great at his I, that was well, that yeah. didn't come up. That's a lot of assumptions you can make when you yeah. hear a model employee, but then you hear he's kind, and <laughs> so you don't know. But anyway, we won't assume. Not at the beginning of the story, anyway. <laughs> so one thing that was consistent um, with several people, they said that he was close to a fellow co-worker by the name of Kelly Campbell. She had worked with Gant for several years, and she ended up quitting about a year before the robbery. Co-workers said they spent a lot of time together and would even go out after work hours to spend time with each other. Hmm. Kind of breaks up the wife's alibi. Of him coming home. Well, that wedding ring was in the ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> the FBI tracked her down and she denied ever being close to David and said she didn't know anything about the robbery. When reviewing his phone records, the FBI noticed several calls were made to his cell phone. Okay. So he had a cell phone the night of the robbery they were from inside the Loomis warehouse. Several times, a three-digit number was sent to his pager, 143. They didn't know what that meant, but were sure that David was the one making the calls to his cell phone, which must have been outside with an accomplice. Exactly one week after the robbery, a room full of agents gathered and were ready to take in a bunch of tips. They were getting ready to watch America's Most Wanted, which was doing a profile on the story. Usually, after that show aired, tips would come in by the hundreds. The chances of finding David would be much better with this exposure. So all the agents were on standby waiting for the phones to ring. 
eating takeout at the office. I mean, they're literally huddled around the TV with like the pizza boxes and the Chinese takeouts and got their pads ready with their notepads. Like they're just ready to answer the phone once these leads come in. So suddenly it was announced that because of a playoff baseball game running over on over America's most wanted would be seen on the east wouldn't, wouldn't be seen on the east coast so baseball trumped it <laughs> yeah and they were throwing like they were throwing things at the tv like forks and stuff oh, and they were all upset that's what they were waiting on was and then now everyone in this area on this side of the country was not going to see America's most wanted that was a, now you i don't know that that would happen i don't know that baseball would be able to trump it um, it had been a week. And well, well, now you have news stations that are 24 seven well, dedicated to stuff like that's that. That's true. But it had been a week and still $14 million was missing. And so was David Loomis offered a $500,000 reward for information, hoping to get some new leads that got the phones ringing. A special database was set up to get the tips organized. Okay. I'm sorry. We can, you take a break, but I one thing I was gonna say, I think they ought to offer a million dollars, five hundred thousand when they got fourteen, and they got the other three back. At least give one million for because <laughs> you're gonna be taxed. So anyway, we'll be back to talk some more in just a minute. All right, so we're back and I'm back from arguing how much the reward money should be. Yes. For the stolen fourteen million dollars. I still think a million. <laughs> And she says 500 is good, but you got to think. Anything's better than nothing if you know well, that's something. True. That's anyway, true. I wonder if you know something. I'll never get a $500,000 reward or a million dollar reward. So it's. <laughs> I wonder if you can negotiate with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a tip came in from a guy who had a friend by the name of Eric Payne, who seemed to be spending a lot of money lately he shouldn't have been spending. Uh, at first, they thought it was Gant using a fake name, but then it was debunked. But this guy, Eric, had recently paid off some credit card bills. He bought a Harley, a Chevy Tahoe, first class airline tickets, and took a really expensive vacation. He should have probably bought that vacation and stayed wherever he went, like a <laughs> non-extradition country. So definitely seemed worthy enough to check out. He was on vacation when they decided to check him out. They visited his workplace and his co-workers confirmed about his uh, recent big spending. He had been having lavish parties. He'd even paid for his two sisters to have breast enlargements. Wow. I would not be asking my brother for that. <laughs> his wife got um, new top half of her body breasts. <laughs> And a new nose. And a new nose. So she got wow. a nose along with the... the yeah, the chest. The, yeah. <laughs> chest job. He told everyone he inherited the money. Interestingly enough, he worked for a graphics company. The business was located across the street from where the Loomis van was found. Oh, okay. So, interesting. The FBI found out that he financed the Tahoe but paid a down payment all in $20 bills. Man, he's not too smart. They didn't want to raise suspicion that they knew he must be involved somehow, so they waited until he returned from vacation. Oh, that was so nice of them. They, they didn't want to throw up any red flags and make him make run if he got hurt. Imagine if he's in, you know, another country and gets yeah. a phone call like, hey, man, the, the, the feds are checking you out. He's not going to come back. He's just going to stay gone. If he had something to do with but it. But how nice to have a vacation before you get caught. Yeah. 
So they waited for to speak with him. And then while that was going on, they also got another lead about a big spender in another county a few miles away. This was in Gaston County. The police were working a big narcotics sting, and a local informant told the authorities that someone had just purchased a $600,000 home in the area, and they paid for it with cash. Wow. Once investigated, it was found to be Steve Chambers. They began to do a background check on him and his wife, Michelle. Steve wasn't done spending. After the house, he bought a truck and a BMW Roadster. The town that they bought this house in is called Cramerton. Cramerton, yeah. And it's actually in the Guinness Book of World Records for the shortest Main Street. Main Street is only 75 feet long. Wow. It's a tiny town. It is a tiny town. They need a tiny house community there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small town that covers three square miles and is only a 15-minute drive to downtown Charlotte. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let 15 minutes. That's okay. <laughs> The police force only has nine members. They were getting multiple tips about the re new residents. So Michelle's story to her friends was that her husband was a retired pro football player who gambled and won big in Atlantic City. The city's mayor lived just a couple of doors down from the chambers, and she didn't believe that story. So she called the FBI to report the chambers spending because it was too much for their small force to keep up with. Huh. So. Well, the mayor didn't know what the FBI was investigating their spending. The police chief called. Let me rephrase that. Oh, so, okay. so they lived, the mayor and the Steve Chambers, when they bought this brand, this beautiful $600,000 home, lived in a gated community. Okay. And um, the police chief, they thought they were spending drug money. Gotcha. So they, they had the drug. They they were on them for spending drug money. They didn't know it was in conjunction with this Loomis money. So now, but the, they were suspicious, right. obviously. So okay. they got the FBI involved to find out whether or not they were spending Loomis money or if they were spending drug money. Gotcha. And interesting because the bills aren't marked. You know, yeah. All right. So Steve had been arrested. Um, for check fraud, and he was also a bookie. He caused a scene at a local bar and got kicked out. In return, he offered to buy the place with cash. Oh, how nice. So he like, how dare you kick me out? I'll buy you. <laughs> $400,000 to be exact. Man, he could have his own bookie place. <laughs> it was getting hard to prove it was Loomis money, like I had said a while yeah, ago. Sorry. They were spending um, or drug money. They were watching all large cash transactions in the area through the banks as well. This took several weeks to get back and thousands of pages of reports they had to go through. Finally, they found something interesting. On the Monday directly after the robbery, Michelle Chambers, who was Steve's wife, mm -hmm. walked into a bank with a briefcase full of cash and asked an odd question. She asked how much she could deposit without having to sign any paperwork. Okay. Red flag. Yes. She declared that it wasn't drug money. <laughs> <laughs> this is not drug money, I promise. So that was to put the teller at ease. <laughs> it's not drug money. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Although she wanted to avoid paperwork, asking that very question and speaking about drug money got her a suspicious activity report filed by the te teller. These are not too 
Honestly, that question come, it used to come up quite frequently. Really? They're like, how much can I deposit without you having to report it in anywhere? And we're like, hey, why do you need to know? But it, isn't it about nine? Like nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. Like once you get over the ten thousand mark, when you or? get to the ten thousand mark, you have to do a CTR, which is a cash transaction like report. Okay, so yeah, I mean she's got to think. But I think by now a lot of people know that. But yeah. but um, back then, I mean, I wouldn't have known in ninety seven. Of course, I wouldn't have had over ten thousand deposits. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be asking that. So she's asking two strange, or she's asking, asking a question. She's acting and saying weird. that she's not a drug, it's right? Drug with money. a briefcase full of who walks into a bank with a briefcase full of money? Only in the movies I've watched. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this put both Steve and Michelle under surveillance, and it was quickly observed that they would visit several banks and make large cash deposits and open safety deposit boxes. This made work extremely difficult for the police chief of this tiny town. It was hard to follow Steve and Michelle in such a small town. And it not be obvious. I mean, obviously, it's, right. it's easy to follow somebody if your area is so small, but now you have to make sure they don't know you're following them. And if they didn't have that many officers, to be able to commit someone to that is a little tough as well, I'm mm -hmm. sure. Uh, they lived in that gated community next to the mayor, and uh, he had to cover for the FBI while they handled their investigation and had to... Um, filled multiple calls from locals about suspicious cars and planes flying around the town. Suddenly it's Christmas time. And even though it is plainly obvious that they are being followed and watched, Steve and Michelle have no idea. Like Ooh. other people have pointed it out, but they, they have, they're oblivious. To they're their, just enjoying they're their just money. They're just spending money like it's, yeah. you know, So they're still spending that money and they bought Michelle's stepfather a new truck. Steve gave Michelle an early Christmas present. He gave her a 3.5 carat diamond ring that he paid $43,000 for in cash. Wow. Even though they were spending way too much cash, the FBI couldn't prove it was the Loomis cash. And they seemed to have no ties to David Gant. Meanwhile, Tammy and David's family hadn't heard from him at all. They decided to look at old yearbooks. Steve was making it extremely difficult to get close to because he didn't go out, didn't talk to anyone, and he didn't know. Like he just kept a tight circle of friends. Like okay. he, he wouldn't step out and just like talk to random people. Now, is this in the, the same town? Steve as Steve, Steve Chambers? Yes. Okay. All right. So, one name that did pop up in a yearbook along with Steve was David's old friend, Cam Kelly Campbell. The FBI visited Kelly again, and out of everyone interviewed the first time around, over 100 people remember, Kelly was the only one who refused to take a polygraph test. She had absolutely no interest in helping them. She denied being close to David again and cut the interview short. They were trying to find out how Steve and Michelle Chambers were related to David and somehow because David was the only one they knew had took the Loomis money. So they were trying to figure it out, and they found a class yearbook that had both Kelly in it and Steve. And then Kelly knew David. So they're trying to like piece it together. piece it all together with a little red string on the on the board. You know? Yeah, which well, you know it was pretty smart for if you for Kelly to be if she's involved to be able to you know get this going. So all right, Steve and Michelle bought a storefront and decided to go into the furniture business. So I guess they didn't offer him the bar. No. <laughs> well, neither one of them had had a job. So if they have all this money, they're trying to keep up appearances like they're 
business people or right. real estate they need people. To have, so they, yeah. they ended up buying the furniture store as kind of like a, yeah, okay, let's, let's pretend like we yeah. work now. It had been three months since the robbery, and finally all of their big spending paid off for the FBI. While watching their furniture store, someone pulls up in a brand new minivan. Kelly Campbell was seen visiting with Michelle Chambers. They ran the license plates on the van, and it came back as an alias for Steve Chambers. Now the authorities had proven connection between Kelly and Steve. Michelle was so known was also known at the local banks and the FBI. She was the money handler. It just so happened the agents were in a bank observing the tellers on video as Michelle walked in to make an $8,000 deposit. Staying under that radar. <laughs> yeah, after she'd already gotten her information. Remember, we didn't have the internet to look up things on. We had to ask people. This is under that 10000 and they were able to see the money bands wrapped around the cash, and they were Loomis bands. They proved that it was cash from Loomis and not drug money that they had been spending. Man, why didn't she take the bands off? I mean, because they're really? already nicely counted and it tells you how much is in that stack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bands still had the initials from a Loomis employee verifying the amounts. It was immediately taken to Loomis and the signature was verified from an employee that had not been employed since the robbery. Authorities decided to hold off on an arrest for just a little bit longer. They were hoping to get David Gant as well. So now they know that that yep. money that they're throwing around for their houses and cars and whatnot is Loomis money. Yes. They were able to get search warrants for all the current players that they didn't have any evidence on. The phone lines were tapped. They would never say anything directly on the phones about the heist, but they talked business and about spending more money. So they just didn't say out in public, you know, This hey, is where we got it from, yeah. but... Steve wanted to open up a multi-million dollar account overseas. He talked about hiring a bodyguard for $400 a week and an apartment as payment. What would he need the bodyguard for? Well, remember, <laughs> he's in a small in, town of 3 million people. <laughs> unless he's still a bookie or something. Oh. You know? Campbell talked about doing plastic surgery since she had put on some weight. Most of the stuff that was on the recordings were useless. They were about to pull the plug on the wiretap when they hear what they had been waiting for. Kelly tells Steve that she got a page from David Gant. They had worked out a system where David would send Kelly a page with the numbers that would give her the time he would call her. Kelly told Steve when they were supposed to have their next chat. So she did this on the phone. The FBI was waiting where the phone call was supposed to happen. It leads them to a payphone that is ringing, ringing, and ringing. Kelly was not there to pick it up. After it rang a significant amount of time, an agent gets out of the surveillance van and strolls up to pick up the phone. They needed to verify David Gant's voice and confirm that he was still alive. David was on the other end, and they finally had his voice verified on tape. He hung up quickly after Kelly didn't pick up and before it could be traced. So they had the payphone tapped, apparently? Yep. So they yep. had tapped every, everything around this little town trying to catch this guy. Evidently so. And, of course, payphones. We don't have those anymore. Yeah. But. I know. Because <laughs> everybody has a cell phone these days. I remember my dad brought home a payphone and put it on the wall one time. <laughs> Tell me I was about to Does pay for my calls. It? I don't know. 
I mean, he I worked for the phone company. All it might be about it. Because I... You want to pay phone? I do want to pay phone. For the new... we uh, For a facility here that we're trying to get started. New pay phone in the gym? Yep. New pay phone in the gym. So, as pretend, play. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, what is that, mommy? I don't no, know. I want a phone booth, too. I've already got that planned. <laughs> so, we'll talk about oh, that that's later. that's cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll ask him. Yeah, ask him if he still has it. He probably think he would let us get it? Or is he... I, he wouldn't care. He... He's I was unattached. talking to him. No, he's unattached. Okay. Okay. He's unattached. <laughs> okay. Unattached to the payphone. To yeah. so many other things. I really do want a payphone. All right. So, where are we at? Sorry. Um, digressing again. All right. So, that he didn't. He yeah. hung up the phone, but they Kelly, got his voice. Yeah, because Kelly didn't pick up. She wasn't there. He contacted Kelly again, and she immediately called Steve. She stated she was afraid that he would ask for more money. How could someone who stole $13 million be out of cash? Hmm. The Chambers were spending it like it was nothing. What was David doing with his cut? Steve told Kelly it was time to get rid of Gant for good. He told her to come to the business and they would discuss what to do next. When Kelly got to the store, there was already an <laughs> FBI agent inside. It was a public building and an acting furniture store. Steve said Gant could not ask for more money. They had to put an end to his request. Gant was the only one that tied them to the stolen money. He was a problem and needed to go. They had a problem too. They didn't know where David was. Steve instructed her to find out where he was staying the next time he called. Okay, so are they wondering about the third? Are they saying that David had the thirteen million? No, this is like this is a question. If David was the one who emptied out the safe with all that money, why is he calling them asking for money? Okay, gotcha. So gotcha. it's like all like why would he need money if he just stole right. all that money? Yeah, so something's fishy. But see, they didn't even know where he was. Once they were connected again, David told Kelly that he couldn't wait for her any longer and that he needed more money. So, yeah, he's running out. She told him she needed to know where he was. He told her he was in Cozumel, Mexico. Well, and two, he probably didn't take the money because he needed to hide for a while, so they had to supply him. She told him to stay put and someone would deliver more money to him. The bodyguard that Steve was going to hire was Mike McKinney. Upon mentioning his name, the FBI pulled him under put him under surveillance as well. The FBI was waiting when they met. Steve instructed him to take a few guys and go kill Gant in Mexico. On March 1, 1998, agents checked into a Mexican hotel. They had arrived to find Gant before the hired guns. Days after they arrived, they approached Gant. One asked for his ID, and he immediately said, Please tell me one of you is an FBI agent and seemed to be relieved. Next, he said, we really need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> he actually told the agent, I'm really glad to see you. Now that he was in custody, he could explain how they pulled off this massive heist. So he was relieved that he had gotten caught. Yeah. He, he, he didn't want to get caught by um, Steve's people who was coming after him. So. No, that and he was trying to live in Mexico without money. Yeah. So that can't be safe. So, um, so on the flight back to Charlotte, he tells them exactly how everything went down. Um, okay. So he described his job as boring, money smells, looking at it all day. He said it wasn't fun. I guess that's like, I, hey, I liked it. I liked counting money. Did really? I did. I like, I like using the little machine and wrapping those little bands around it, making sure my stacks were nice and neat. Doing change orders. I like well, I like working at the bank. Sometimes, too, you have a place where you have, you know, like, 
I know with me and my children, I can't control everything in my house like I want to. So when I am able to control something and make it neat and keep it that way, it feels great. So maybe that's part of it. Well, the it. only thing I didn't like was when the police came with their bags of drug money that uh -huh. they had confiscated uh -huh. and you had to count it. Because you couldn't touch, like you couldn't touch anything after you touched the money, because it would have traces of the drugs on did it. You need to have like you could on? smell it. No, you can have, but your hands would sometimes start tingling. Oh wow! Like they'd be like, you had to be very careful with with that money. Cause yeah. Was, well, so I, I mean, like him being in a warehouse, maybe that was it was a lot of money. I don't know because he said it smelled. But here's my thing too. You think about a restaurant you want to work in. You're like, oh, I but love then he gets restaurant. so sick of the food yeah. being around it so much. That's kind of what I'm picturing, yeah. maybe with him. But either way, you still don't steal all that money because yeah. you're going to get caught, and then you're going to be in prison where you're going to be smelling a lot of other things you don't want to smell. So my advice, but it depends on the person, I guess, because yeah. I've stared at stacks of money and counted, you know, a million in cash, and I never thought, oh my gosh, let me take that home. What I could do? Yeah, with that. it was no, that's my job. It needs to stay there. I could never do that. I can't steal a paper clip i can't take a paper clip without feeling guilty from even if oh, I, had, I know i took a pen yesterday and got in the car you thief i know it wasn't my pen <laughs> and i was like should i take it back in but now they don't want anybody to come back in after they've been out well now they give pens away because you've touched it they don't <laughs> just take what, it home yeah just take I it home it's yours so um so anyway he's bored looking at money all day he said it wasn't fun his wife tammy so it like you're around money working you can't touch it then his wife tammy keeps him on a strict budget yeah so well it showed him in one of the reenactments like they were at a convenience store and he's got a candy bar and she was like nah, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i guess if she was he just was at his yeah, breaking point if, yeah. if that was the case yeah, you, she controlled the money. You come home, you can't spend your own money. You work hard for you. Go to work, you can't spend the money that you're working hard to <laughs> keep safe. Money was tight, so she would say they couldn't afford extra things, um, and they could barely afford food. He would meet with Kelly. Yeah, how do you meet with her and do things? And anyway, she asked. Well, they never. Him, they were friends. Okay. They, were, they were friends. They were never more than friends. But, well, according to the agent of the this the. the arrested him that he had kissed her one time okay so anyway <laughs> and he said it was the most expensive kiss ever. <laughs> she but must anyway. have manipulated him yes okay she asked him one day what he would think if he decided to rob if they decided to, or he decided to rob loomis he would be the perfect person for it that way he would be free and he could live exactly how he wanted she mentioned she knew someone who could help hide the money and ensure that, that he got away. Since she worked at Loomis and she knew how much was in the safe, she told David they could split the money three ways. She estimated that each one of them could get away with about $4 million after it was said and done. She made sure to tell him that with all that money, the two of them could live together however they wanted. At first, it was a thought. It was thought of as a joke. Then it became um, began to like nag at him. So, so she kind of planted that seed in his head, and oh, she probably and let him on him. a little bit. Yeah. And oh, for, for she sure. probably said she here. had this friend. Now there was only supposed yeah. to be three people involved. Oh, okay. you remember how it, eight and sixteen? It, yeah, yeah. It, it spread out. <laughs> she probably like gave him a few dollars and said, "Get a candy bar on the way home." <laughs> Get a drink. This is for our Milky Way. Get a drink to go with it. Yeah. So make sure you buy that Snickers. <laughs> so it, it, he initially thought, you know, well, that, that's crazy. Like, well, who would do that? But then 
they get serious about it. Yeah. So we'll get to that in a second. So at first it was a joke, but now he's getting serious. Because he started looking at his dreaded credit card bill. <laughs> it would take 30 years of monthly payments to get rid of that debt. That interest, man. He immediately called Kelly to tell her he was in. Then he started to pay attention to how things work at Loomis. The weakest link seemed to be lack of manpower. Hmm. Same as it is now. Yes. <laughs> he was often left alone with the entire set of keys and a safe full of money. He studied and read up on the FBI and how they operate. He knew they would make a bubble around the crime and he needed to get far away fast. They didn't make much of a bubble if they missed that truck in the woods, I would think. I mean, you know, I, was, I don't know. Just well, they didn't know the month. Well, he, he still had a good they could Yeah, hours. they could have camouflaged it or something. Gant knew he would have to leave quickly. Steve arranged a fake birth certificate and passport, and he also secured a way out of the country for David. Gant didn't even know Chambers. He had never met or seen him. Kelly was the go-between. Steve orchestrated the gang meetups, got his friends Eric Payne and a few others to help hide the money. On the day they decided to rob Loomis, David was surprised to find out he would be working with a trainee. He had to go through the motions of pretending to close everything down and walked out to his truck to leave. He debated on whether or not to go back in. He decided ultimately that he was ready and he was going to take all the money. Eric Payne was waiting at the graphics company in a rented van. He was waiting for the rest of the others to arrive with the cash. Steve, Kelly, and Scott parked around the corner from the warehouse to wait for David to pass in a money-loaded van. At the warehouse, David began to unload all the money from the safe into a van waiting 15 feet away. All of it was recorded on the security tapes. Man, I mean, just, I think about him loading all that money. At 28,000 pounds. Yeah. And he's a skinny guy. Like, what's we'll the pictures load, up? Yeah, load that, that money. I wouldn't even want to be, I'd be tired after that. Is they it, find me laying on the floor. The yeah. <laughs> they like, what happened? I just couldn't get up. After yeah. <laughs> tired. Oh. And um, not only that, I guess his adrenaline was pumping. Yeah. Gant was running late and Steve was getting, fr well, I wonder why he was running late. It was only like 2,800 pounds. He was getting well, that, frustrated he had, and anxious. He, he had to get rid of the trainee. He had to like, one of Loomis cars was late. You know how like you always, I had to do all the nothing work. ever works out like you no. want it to. Something always goes wrong. Uh, so can't even rob And him. Steve is just being impatient. And he's like, you know, he just wants the money. So, And the poor guy had no help. And he had to move on. Yeah. <laughs> Gant had packed the van with as much cash and it could fit. He took two of the security tapes to erase his tracks. He was unaware of the third recorder. He didn't know about that second ah, camera. That's why that tape ooh. was still there. I like when I have questions that get answered later. So if he had taken that third tape, they would have absolutely no idea what what, what happened. Yes. He would just be just a mystery. But then he would have gotten probably taken out of Mexico. So whew. finally he makes it out and meets up with the gang and they're on the road. He's in a van packed with $17 million. Driving, he has to stop at a red light. Across the intersection is a police car. He is shaking so bad, he can't even light up a cigarette. Oh, what a shame. So guilty. So guilty with that police car cigarette. sitting there. He thinks he has finished, and somehow they already know. His light turned green, and he made his way to the graphic design lot where another car was waiting. 
David was under the impression that just Kelly and her friend Steve were going to be involved. People kept showing up that were telling him they were on his side. Now, see, when he was getting out of the um, lot, he couldn't get the doors open, like the chain unwrapped the thing. And so this person from the other side just starts to come help him. And he didn't know who that person was. And then he had to tell him, he's like, no, 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 I'm with Steven. I'm with you. Like, I'm with you. And so all these people just kept showing up to help that he had no idea was involved in. Poor guy. And he, you know, he's like, I got all this out by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I could have done it without you. He handed over the van keys and got in the truck with Kelly and she drove off. The van and all that money was left so with Steve he, yeah. and his ring of friends. He was used. I, I would not have. And he's still under the impression that, oh, they're just going to hold it. and We're all going to split it evenly and off I go. And Come on now. Oh, that's terrible. It's <laughs> making me feel sorry for him. <laughs> they had a big problem on their hands. The van was locked. The key was on an eight-inch ring with about 200 other keys. <laughs> so now they have a van with 17 million dollars in it and they can't get the key to open the that van. is hilarious it was like when those three stooges went with it it's like this huge ring and all these keys on it i have no <laughs> idea which was the van i key. have like seven and i go through all of them to try to get in a door <laughs> i have two and sometimes i use the because <laughs> you can't and then i get through them i'm thinking i just tried all of them so i gotta do it again maybe i didn't hold my mouth right whatever um <laughs> So, Gant was on his way to the Columbia Airport in South Carolina with his fake identification. And he was dreaming big. He was excited. To start his life off in Mexico, he only took 30000 in cash with him. He didn't know how he was going to get it on the plane and in Mexico. Kelly pulled into a gas station and bought a pair of pantyhose. She cut them up and stuffed them with the money. Meanwhile, and then put it on his person. So I guess that was before TSA had to yeah. vision everybody. Yes. <laughs> yes. So meanwhile, she seems like she's done this. Like before. she was like, Hey, here you go. Yeah. No problem. I got you covered. Yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, Steve and his gang couldn't get the right key to get the van open. <laughs> I think I would, I don't know. They grabbed rocks and tried to break the windows. But, but she had an armored car. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's bulletproof. <laughs> oh my goodness. Finally, they found the right key and got the van open. But I wonder how long it took. 200 keys. Because then I would be like, did I already try this one? Man, I got to start over again. No, it's the first one. Then becomes the last one. Yes. All right. So they found the right key. Uh, Where am I at? They decided to, he did not know how much there was. So they decided to fill um, the barrels. So they had three barrels. Yeah, and Chambers we're fill ended up bringing three, three barrels. Yeah. And he didn't know how much was in the safe either. So they're just they're filling them up as fast, just filling them up to the top. And they're grabbing 20s first because you, you need to grab a stack of 20s, yeah. not the ones. And they had to ditch the rest in the van. So that explains why there was three million left. They just didn't have any anywhere for it. <sighs> they just couldn't. Oh, man. Kelly and David also had problems of their own. Once at the airport, they were surprised to learn that there were no flights to Mexico and airplane reservations had not been made. Because, you know, people in Charlotte, North Carolina, we don't, we don't fly to Mexico. You yeah. have to fly to a bigger airport first. <laughs> so Kelly called Steve, who seemed to be making all of the decisions. Nobody can do anything without calling Steve. Yeah, it sounds like. He told her to send David on a bus to Atlanta. It was a larger airport, and he could get to Mexico from there. Atlanta was 200 miles away, and he had enough of a head start. He should be able to make it. He left thinking that Kelly would join him in Mexico. 
Once he made it to Cancun, he started living like he wanted to, eating at good restaurants, staying at a nice place. He was alone. He was waiting for Kelly. And that's when he began to run out of money and fast. He couldn't bring his cut with him. And so since he had to be the one to get the furthest away, he had to rely on his friends. His friends. Uh, yeah, frenemies maybe, to send him money when he needed it. So, yeah, poor guy. I mean, he had to do all the work. He had to set everything up. And then he has to be the one to disappear. And now he has to depend on them to give him money. He stole. <laughs> <laughs> He was the expert. Can you say <laughs> sucker? Um, so, right. Let's see. David was eating dinner in Cancun. Oh. Uh, so we're trying yeah, to. Yeah. yeah. All right. So after a few short weeks, he requested that they send him fifty thousand dollars, which, according to him, is not. I mean, hello. That's, really, that's not much. I mean, that's chump change. You're sitting on fourteen million. You can't send me fifty thousand pennies. Yeah. I mean, just sending me some money, man. That was not a lot compared, just yeah. like Melissa said. So then he gets a knock on his hotel door, and it was Mike McKinney. But he went by the name of Bruno and throws down a stack of cash. It was only $8,000. His instructions per Steve were to get down there and give David some cash and watch him until it was time to get rid of him for good. He called Kelly up and wanted to know where his money was. It was then he had the sinking suspicion that he was being used <laughs> and he would never see any large amount of all that cash. He spent hours loading into his workman and handing off to Kelly and her friends. Okay. So yeah, Mike McKinney was the one who Steve hired. Well, he was supposed to be like Steve's bodyguard and take care of business. So he went down there and said his name was Bruno and just to give him some money. Yeah. And so then he just starts feeling it like, oh, this yeah, isn't working out like I thought. Yeah. yeah. David was um, eating dinner in Cancun and a stranger approached. He asked David who he thought he looked like. David answered and said a tennis player's name because he had gotten the same question from a female traveler. He was in Atlanta and a girl came up to him and said, hey, I know you. And then he was like really worried that. That's where she knew him from. And she's like, no, you look like a tennis player. And he's like, no, no, I'm not that guy. Sorry. And so that's what he thought this oh, was. Oh, wow. He was getting mistaken for this tennis player again. So then this man was like, no, you look like the guy in North Carolina that stole all the money. <laughs> see, now I can see that happening to me. I'd run into somebody. You're that you know, person from North Carolina. Yeah. David. Why you do that? <laughs> yeah, aren't you the guy? You sure did look like him. David told him he lived in Mexico for years, and he realized the story of the robbery was still hot. He continued to keep himself and keep his profile low. He gets another knock on his door. The man says he is Robert and a friend of Bruno's. And he has no idea who these people are, and so they're just and like, they, yeah. hey, you need help from Charlotte. And he's like, yeah. He doesn't know if there's friends, he doesn't know yeah. if there's enemies. I think he needs to find another hotel. Yeah. <laughs> David lets him in and Robert tells him that he must be a drug dealer and Bruno and his friends want him dead. They were planning as they spoke. If he had any doubts about whether or not he would ever live his happily ever after, they were officially sealed. He knew he had to change how he was living and hide. Gant gave Robert $2,000 for letting him know and to keep quiet. So it never said who that guy specifically was, but at least he went down there to give him a heads up that they're looking for you. Like you might need to yeah, change, change your ways a little bit, go hide some more that they were coming after you. 
So he starts switching where he stays and using fake names. He called Kelly again to ask for more money. He didn't believe that she was a part of the plan to have him eliminated. He still wanted to have his head. So guys, in the book of Proverbs, which is in the Bible, it talks about women like her. <laughs> so Women are always ruling everything. Women, I mean, the Bible is always a good thing to get your um, smarts from. Trust me. <laughs> He made the mistake of telling her where he was. What? Now Steve and Kelly knew where to send Bruno and his thugs to find him. Fortunately for David, the FBI now knew where he was too because they were listening on the phone call. They had to move fast to get the rest of the gang before they got word that David was on his way back to Charlotte. So March the 2nd, 1998, they started to round up the others. The first ones to get cuffed Oh, I like the way that's written. <laughs> were Steve and Michelle Chambers. On the night of the robbery, he made all of the involved parties swear that if they got caught, no one would name names. Ironically, the first words out of his mouth upon arrest were the names of all the accomplices. <laughs> Don't you dare tell oh. us anybody we're going to get caught. No one's going to say a word. They're like, okay, Steve. He gets cuffed and he's like, here's who helped me. <laughs> Evidently, <laughs> he made them swear, but they didn't make him swear. <laughs> so Kelly Camel was also visited by the FBI. In her home, they found boxes of cash under the bed. They're just pulling out those boxes of just cash. Mike McKinney was arrested in his hotel room in Gastonia, North Carolina. Eric Payne was also cuffed and taken away since he helped hide the money. All the items bought with his stolen cash and boxes of cash were confiscated. Over $1 million in cash was found between the gangs just sitting just, in their houses. Just sitting. <laughs> of course, most of everything that was taken came from that $600,000 home of Steve and Michelle Chambers. 720000 in cash and over 460 items alone came from them. Now the mayor was clued into what was happening in her neighborhood. Now she's like, ding, 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 ding. The FBI is taking stuff out of their house. What? For an entire two days, you could see the FBI using money counters, just counting bills that they had recovered. Cash was being found everywhere. It was stuffed in drawers and shoe boxes. It was, it was also in one of those barrels that they had taken to the van when they took the money. And that was in the basement. Um, in between the couch cushions, the FBI even believed that there might even be money buried in the backyard. Ironically, none of the six that were arrested had enough money of their own. Loomis money not included to pay for an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly $10 million in cash was rounded up between around 24 of the safety deposit boxes that Steve had his family and relatives set up on his behalf. Overall, 21 people were indicted, 20 ple pled guilty. The one that went to trial was convicted. Eric Payne was sentenced to six and a half years for hiding the money. Scott Grant got four years and seven months for ditching the van. Michelle Chambers got seven years, eight months. Steve received 11 years and three months. Mike McKinney for the hired plot to kill. He got 11 years and six months. Kelly Campbell got five years and 10 months. David Gant was sentenced to seven years and six months. And he was able to live. He could have gotten killed. Yeah. And then guess what? This is the clincher. David Gant's wife, Tammy, divorced him. Yeah. <laughs> and rightly so. So I guess. And then in his interview, he said he'd do it again. 
Wow. <laughs> she must have really had him on a tight budget. <laughs> so, guys, that was kind of. I know of, that one didn't have any murder. Well, well it talked about murder, but it didn't have any, like, an actual killing. But it was, it's to me, it's just interesting how, because I've worked with money and I've seen stacks of it. Just how could someone just take that much of it and almost get away with it if yeah. he had better friends? Yes. And not so many. I mean, because they could have helped him. They could have been smarter about the ways they yeah. spent the money. So I'm Shannon, and I haven't seen that much money in stacks. <laughs> and I've never worked with that much money. But I thought this was a fun story to, you know, to talk about. Because I do remember some of the stories we do are new to me. Um, but this one was, um, I do remember it. So and thanks actually, for listening in. I know it was a lot of information. Yes. But it sounds interesting and like it might be enjoyable to watch the. Yeah, there's a documentary that I'll put the link up to that I watched. It's two hours long or about an hour and 40 minutes. Um, which had a lot of information, a lot of um, actual footage from the investigation, the van and the people and, and some reenactments, but it was um, very interesting and definitely one of the longer episodes we've had. I think it was the longest episode we've done so far. Yeah. It's the most complicated so. story. Yes. Um, but I had fun. I did too. Thanks for joining mm-hmm. us and we hope you'll come back next week. Yep. And just remember. When you do the crime, it'll catch up with you in time. And we'll talk about it.